Well, one day I'm driving through the neighborhood and I see this woman uh, balled up on, on the ground in the gutter. She is like, I don't know what's wrong. I think she's hurt or dead and I pull the truck over and I jump out and I go over. And I say, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she is completely wasted on crack. Welcome. You're in the wrong place at the right time. I'm Brad Hicks with Dan Zasvorka. Here I am. <laughs> in this podcast, Dan takes a deeper look at his own wrong place experiences and and he gleans from many of them, uh, many of those experiences, um, unsuspected and surprising outcomes. Um, so sit back, relax, and enjoy Dan's stories and see if you can't relate to how being in the wrong place may have been just the right time in your own life journey. dog smell or is that your smell i think it's your dog <laughs> it, it, she's she, she got she, gas yeah she has gas <laughs> yeah that's uh, so one of the great things about podcasts is you can't smell anything <laughs> you know it's either me or the dog and boy does that smell bad <laughs> all right so should we dive in yeah let's uh let's dive into a to a to a dan story today and the wrong place at the right time podcast. All right. So I'm going to set this story up. Uh, I'll just call this story Janice and uh, you'll see why. <laughs> we, uh, and this will include some other stories, but when I was in seminary training to be a pastor or a missionary, uh, it came down to my last semester of school. And I was at the time a student pastor in a small town in Wisconsin, Highland, Wisconsin, about 500 people in this town, had maybe two or three churches in like eight to 10 bars. It was like this, they had so many bars in this teeny town. Uh, anyway, we were coming down to, uh, and I wanted to, I had to decide whether I would continue as a regular pastor for these two churches that I was pastoring, or whether I, we would go move on and do something else. What is your age at this time, Dan? I am, this is 90, I'm 32. Okay, young man. Yeah, so I'm 32 years old. Uh, I have two daughters, Jamie and Hannah. They are in elementary school, and Kelly, my wife, is, we're all living in a, a manse, which is the church's house in Highland, Wisconsin. A manse? Manse, they call it. What's that? It's that's the name of a town? Nope. It's a house that's next to a church that the church owns, and they allow the pastor to live there. It's called the manse. Yeah. Um, you never heard of that. Is that a general mm. term for the... This is in uh, in mainline denominations. Like We've always called it a parsonage. Um, yeah, it could also be called a parsonage. Okay. Maybe it's a Presbyterian wow. term. Wow, that's, that's, 
that's one of those churchy terms I've never <laughs> even I've been in church since I was like a teenager. I've never yeah. heard that term. The, how about I mean, the narthex? Have you heard of the narthex? That's, that like that token now? <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the entrance to a church, kind of the lobby area called the narthex. There's probably the a lot narthex. of churchy words. Wow. Uh, Generally, Brad, this brings, uh, you know, this could be a side co- uh, conversation, but I I can't stand chur- uh, churchy uh, language churchy or language, jargon. Yeah. I think both of us. You and I are uh, in the same boat. And so yeah. we try, I try really hard to avoid that stuff, but uh, that's what it was mm-hmm. called, the manse. And we All live right. there. So Continue. Okay, so we're living there and we need, need to decide whether we're going to stay in Highland, Wisconsin. And I'm going to pastor these two small churches or uh, whether we're going to move on and do something else. And we had been involved in intentional Christian community, which is Christians living together, sharing their goods and uh, sometimes their houses. And so we thought maybe that would be an option. So I was praying about this and um, my prayer to God was, God, do you want us to stay here in Highland, Wisconsin, or do you want us to go and do some intentional Christian community, maybe go back to San Diego and, and be involved in that community there at Ronald Court, which I don't know. I don't think I've talked about, but I will. Um, and so I'm praying about this, and Kelly's praying about this, and it's a really hard decision. We don't know what to decide. And so I go out for a like a couple hours uh, of prayer just by myself. I, this is how I discern things a lot. Often I will go into the wilderness and just pour my heart out to God and just tell him, I want to know what you want. And so I did that. I went out to, I remember it was this kind of pine forest in, in Wisconsin there. And I was just crying out to God. Um, and one of the things I had done earlier before praying, before this final prayer time was I had called a, a guy who wrote a book uh, about Christians doing wonderful and radical things in society. And I think it was called The Mustard Seed Conspiracy oh, yeah. who wrote that by book? Tom Sign. Tom Sign. Yeah. And so Tom, Tom Sign and uh, Cider was the other guy. Ron was Cider wrote a book, uh, Rich Roman. Christians in an Age of Hunger. Oh, yeah. And so I had called Tom Sign to just talk to him and ask him to kind of give me some wisdom on what I should maybe be doing. And he never called me back. I mean, this was two weeks earlier. I left a message on his machine and he didn't call back. And so I'm out in the wilderness. I'm praying. And I I, I say to God, look, God, I don't know what to do. And I really want you to be involved. I want to do what you want to do. So if if I go back to the house and Kelly and it's, and Kelly says, no, that no one called or anything, then we're going to stay in Wisconsin. But if I go back to the house and Kelly says, guess what? Tom sign called. And I think this is a long shot prayer. I'm like, he didn't, hasn't called. I don't know why he would call now, but God, if you want us to go to San Diego and do something in community with other believers, then I, then Tom sign needs to call right now while I'm praying and I need to go home and, and Kelly just say, guess what? Tom sign called. So I'm praying this and I said, this is, I'm sorry for, I'm not testing you, God. I just want to know which direction. So 
And so I finish praying and I drive back to the house and I walk in the house and Kelly says, guess what? Tom's side called. Oh, he did call. Yes. And he said he, did, he, didn't he, did, call. he hadn't called oh, for hadn't so called. long. Yeah. And, and she said, Tom's side called. Ah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I kind of, I rejoiced. I, I mean, God answered my prayer and, and I called Tom sign back and he actually didn't have a lot of great advice. He was kind of at a point. I don't know. I'm mentioning his name. I don't know if I should bring up some of this stuff, but he was, seemed kind of down and, and depressed about the church at when I talked to him. He was in the Presbyterian Church, same church I was training to be a pastor in, and he he was just uh, kind of depressed about what was happening in the church at the time. But the part that's important to the story is that he called, and so we decided to leave Wisconsin, Highland, Wisconsin, and move back to San Diego. Wow! So that that was the determining. That that was it. That was the sign. Yeah, it was between two good things, and this mm-hmm. was. Uh, I was asking God, which good thing do you want us to do? Mm-hmm. And it was really hard leaving Highland because we had our final goodbye with the churches, and there were like these old dairy farmers that are really tough, and some of them were like crying because they mm-hmm. they didn't want us to go and. It was, I was surprised because I didn't, they didn't tell me all this stuff before I left. It's leaving places since we've lived a lot of places, we've left a lot of places. It's like a funeral. Mm-hmm. It's when all the good things people want to say about you come out or sometimes the bad things. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had this potluck and all these people and these old guy farmer, old dairy farmers crying and it was hard. But so we left Wisconsin got in our Volkswagen van with all of our goods, and we drove back to San Diego. And you'd already lived there before. We had lived there. We had lived in a, a an intentional community called Ronald Court. It was a small cold, cul-de-sac where uh, there were uh, three duplexes on one side of the street that we all owned, which was six living units. And when we went back there, some of the people that were there before we moved to seminary were still there, the, uh, the Kriegers, and uh, I think they were the only ones still there. And then there were other people that had moved in, and it was still a community. Uh, there were some people from Germany living there, Klaus Peter and Magda, and that was really neat to get to know them. They had lived in a community in Germany. Anyway, we moved back. And we didn't move in there right away because uh, we had to meet with them and talk with them. And so one night we we met with them and I said, you know, I'd be really interested in Kelly and I'd be interested in moving back here if we made more of an effort at intentionally living the way Jesus wants us to live together and really put some uh, thought and effort into how we would do that together rather than just living next door to each other. So who, who did you go back and meet with? With, with the Ronald Court community. The whole community. So yeah. They, but they, did they know you were coming? Um, I think they, they knew that we were moving back, but they didn't know we wanted to be living there. Okay. And so we had this meeting at night and I said, you know, I've trained to be a pastor. I would love to lead this community if we're if you're wanting to do something more intentional because that was important to me i didn't want to just casually live next to each other i really wanted to do 
<laughs> Did that pick up? <laughs> I don't know. That was the dog's fart. If you heard that sound. Uh, and so, okay, so I'm 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 kind of making this long, but so we went and pre I presented to them a model of living together that I thought would be good. And they just decided, they said, yes, let's do this. So we then moved back in through one of the duplexes, two bedrooms, uh, living room and a kitchen, very small places. And we moved in there with our kids and started living intentionally. And I was leading this community. Now, obviously, these people didn't have enough money to support me and pay me to do this. So I needed to get a job that I could do during the day while I was leading the community at night. What does leading the community look like? David? Um, helping what? us uh, decide w w what actions we're going to take, what times, how are we going to, are we going to eat together? Uh, we're going to be, what kinds of prayer are we going to do together? Studying of scripture, teaching, okay. All right. um, those kind of things. So I needed a job. One of the members of the community, Mike Krieger, worked at uh, Big Bear Supermarkets as uh, he was a dispatcher for maintenance people. And he said, hey, we have a job at Big Bear that you could do, and it's picking up shopping carts. Basically, shopping carts go astray from the store, a lot of shopping carts, mm -hmm. and you drive around and you pick those shopping carts up from the street and the alleys and wherever you can find them, and you bring them back to the, to the supermarket. And I said, well, that sounds pretty interesting, I guess. It's a job. It's it a job, yeah. It won't tax my mental abilities. I can lead the community. It'll just be a job I do. And You just needed some income. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got this job, shopping cart pickup man. And so I would drive around a Silverado pickup truck every day, drive around the streets and alleys of San Diego, and uh, El Cajon, La Mesa, if you mm -hmm. know San Diego. Putting your... Uh putting your, your seminary, uh, experience to practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. so. I, and, and, uh, I would drive around and pick up shopping carts eight hours a day, fill up the truck, which I could probably get about, I can't remember. It was somewhere between 20 and 30 shopping carts in the back of the pickup. They'd be hanging out the back. I'd have bungee cords holding them. You had a strategy probably. I had a total how strategy. You, how you fit them on the back of the truck. Yeah, and, and actually I had this system where I would run with the shopping cart at the back of the truck. The tailgate would be down. I would jump up on the cart, spin at the same time, and land on the tailgate. And then I'd... It, with the same momentum, I'd pull the cart up onto the tailgate and push it into the truck. I actually had this like athletic move. The it way was... I'm picturing this, is, <laughs> the way I'm picturing this is that is like that sounds like a recipe to pull something out of your back. Like, oh yeah, but wow. I was in such good shape uh, at the time. I didn't worry about my back. Never, and, yeah, but yeah. it worked so good because I got the momentum going. And I would, oh, it's just like playing sort of, actually. It was really That's fun. A work, it's a workout. I'd, I'd yeah. haul in with this card and spin at this time and then hoist my body up. Well, what was the place called? Big, not Big Bear. Yeah, Big Bear Big, Supermarket. Big Bear, well, they, they hired the right guy for that job. <laughs> wow. Well, they did because I actually was good at finding carts. I would find them in lakes, in riverbeds. I would find them. I would trade homeless people if they had a Big Bear supermarket car cart. 
I would go find a Safeway or an Albertsons cart and I would I would put it in my truck and then I would go and trade them. Sometimes I had to give them a little incentive, maybe some cash or something. I would trade for my Big Bear cart <laughs> and give them a Safeway or Albertsons. <laughs> it was uh, pretty funny. That is funny. Did you make commission or anything on uh, how many carts you'd bring back? Or? No, no. no. I, I, it was wow. just straight up bring carts back. And I worked for about I don't know. I think it was about eight to 10 different stores throughout the San Diego County. And some stores were on a daily basis. Other stores, I would go maybe once or twice a week because they didn't lose that many carts. But some stores would lose a lot of carts every day. And those stores were usually in the poor neighborhoods where uh, people could not afford, did not have cars and so they would walk to the store, they would do their shopping, and then they would take the cart back to their apartment or, or house and just leave it in the front yard or in the alley. And uh, so this story develops around one of those neighborhoods where I would go on a daily basis. I would drive through this neighborhood up and down the streets and alleys for a couple hours every day. And why, it makes sense why they would take the carts back to their home because they yeah. know somebody from the store is going to pick them up. <laughs> exactly. And the store tried different systems like this locking thing on the wheel that would be uh, triggered by the, some boundary laser or something. I don't know what it was. Wow, and you'd that go, sounds, that's an expensive endeavor. Oh, and it like. didn't work. And yeah. so, but it was a great job for me. I did this job for like two and a half years. One of the great things about the job that I liked, just a side comment, was that every day for me, since I'm a pastor and I'd be interested in this is before podcasts and all of that. This is back in the 1800s. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in the 90s and uh, early 90s. But I w they would play scripture. They would just read through the Bible on one radio station for an hour every day. And I would listen to an hour of scripture every day. And I listened to through the entire Bible several times during this job. And it was actually really cool. They even read Deuteronomy and Leviticus? All of it. Wow. All of it. And they start at the beginning, go all the way through. Anyway, so I'm driving my truck around looking for these shopping carts. And this neighborhood that I was in every day was a very poor neighborhood. And this is the early 90s and the crack epidemic was rampant. And so there in these neighborhoods, there would be a lot of crack addicts, a lot of crack houses. And I would be driving around and I would be interacting with these people because I'm stopping every so often to pick up a cart, getting out of the truck and uh, people would ask me, hey, you got any money I can have? Just, you know, they'd be asking me or begging for money or whatever. And so I would interact with these people, with crack addicts. And and there were uh, women who would prostitute themselves out for money to support their crack habit. Was this, was this around the same time uh, that your, 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 your story about being confused with uh, they confused the you with, the, with the drug dealer yeah that actually is a story that's probably i'd say three years after this one. Oh, same, same four location, years same, in the same 
neighborhood though or no no that oh. was that was downtown okay. and this is a neighborhood i can't remember the name of it it wasn't down. um so i'm i drive around, i every day i drive around and i would have my lunch in the truck one day i'm driving around and a woman waves me down she's standing on the curb and she waves me over to the side and so i drive over to the side i roll down the the window and she's she says hey do you have any cash that you can spare and at that point in the story i did i had a couple bucks in my pocket and so i said sure uh, and i reach in my pocket and i give her a couple bucks and um we did not have a lot of money at the time so i went home and said hey this happened today kelly and gave this woman a couple bucks and she says well that's the end of that. You're no longer bringing any money with you to work because <laughs> I know who you are and you're going to just be giving you away. So you can't yeah. take money. So from that point on, I had no money, uh, no credit card, no money on me uh, for work. And uh, so that another uh, the next week, the same woman waves me down and she says, hey, do uh, you got any change you can spare? And I'm like, no, I I." I, my wife won't let me bring any money. I can't. I, sorry about that. It's the shopping cart, man. That's right. I was her favorite. He gives uh, away money. And, and so, uh, and then she spied my lunch sitting on the seat next to me. This was a bench seat, the Silverado. And she spied my lunch. She said, oh, you got some food? And I'm like, yeah, I got food. So I opened my lunch and they said, what would, would you like? And, I, and so, uh, she, uh, I, she, Dan is, Dan is imitating what he's doing over here. Like you can see him. I know I'm actually <laughs> acting this out. So he's Brad's like face, face the microphone. And so I re I open my lunch and, and I show her what I have and she picks a couple things out and I'm like, sure, you can have this. And, um, and then I roll up the window and I drive on and this starts becoming a regular thing. She starts stopping me once, twice, three times a week. I, I start seeing her a lot. And she she starts asking me for, she asks me for food. And I let, let her usually pick something from my lunch. And Did she's she have, o- often picking the sweetest thing. Oh, <laughs> she wants you to give me the, give me the cake. Yeah, she give wants the, the cookie, cake or give the, me the cupcake cookie. or whatever. Yeah, she likes so did that. You, did, you, did you phone yourself? Kind of trying to avoid her, or did you kind of look forward to it? Well, I wasn't sure at first, but I thought, oh, well, I have to go through this neighborhood. I have to do this. And she's she's not, you know, she's fairly nice. And uh, so she, Kelly asked me, she says, hey, because uh, I'm talking about my my this with my daughters and with Kelly saying, hey, I'm this woman I'm seeing every day, and maybe we should be praying for her because she's a crack addict obviously and she she needs our prayers and kelly said hey i can make an extra lunch how about i make an extra lunch you can share it with her and i said you know i thought about that but then i thought no for some reason i want her to know that this costs me something that this is my lunch that i'm eating today that i'm sharing with her i don't want an extra lunch like for some reason i want her to feel like she's somewhat a little bit imposing on me which not too much but this does cost me something and so i just made kelly made me my one lunch every day i started talking with this woman and and she would stop me she would sometimes be standing in the middle of the street she would stop me on a regular basis i would share lunch and i 
I asked her, uh, uh, I didn't ask her right off what her name is. I'm trying to think the name thing is important for this story. And also, she started soliciting me because she was a prostitute. And she would say, hey, when you get, you want to get some time or you want to get some cash, come around and I'll get show you a good time. I don't know. She didn't use those words, but, and she would often do that. And I'd say, no, no. And that's, I would leave it at that. Well, one day I'm driving through the neighborhood and I see this woman uh, balled up on, on the ground in the gutter. She is like, I don't know what's wrong. I think she's hurt or dead. And I pull the truck over and I jump out and I go over and I say, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she is completely wasted on crack. She, she can barely talk. And I'm trying to help her off the street. And I, and for some reason, this is the time I decide to ask her what her name is. And so I say, what's your name? What's your name? And she is so wasted that I don't understand what she's saying. She's actually saying her street name, which is was Slim, but I the way she pronounced it was Slam. Mm-hmm. And so she said, my name is Slam. And I'm like, and I thought Slam was a derogatory term for a prostitute. So I, I said, so I got mad at her and I said, that's not your name. She says, yes, my name is Slam. And I'm like, no, that's not your name. And so then she finally said, well, my name, my, my name is Linda. And so then I started knowing this woman as Linda. And uh, uh, for you story, for you listening, she didn't tell me her right name. She just <laughs> told me another name. She, a lot of people on the street or in prison, they don't want to be known by their real name. And so they have a street name or they'll make up a name. So she said her name was Linda. And I helped her off the side of the road and went on with my shopping cart duties. Um, and I, it made me really sad for her. I, I thought this can't be a life for a person. And uh, I would go home every night and at dinner time, my wife and my two daughters, we would pray for, we would started praying for Linda. First we were praying for this woman. Then we started praying for Linda. So Dan, was and, she uh, was she homeless or did she have a flat that she lived in? Uh, she she was homeless, but she kind of house. Uh, I think she couch surfed some, mm-hmm. and but she didn't have uh, her own apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I knew a couple other. There were a couple other women that were also on the street. One one named Kathy, another named Marta. I was getting to know these crack uh, prostitute women in these neighborhoods and they were often asking me for stuff but Jan uh, or Linda was the big the big one so this goes on I'm in this job this goes on for a year hmm. um, and I'm talking to this woman Linda on a regular basis for throughout the year and she, I'm getting to know her. I'm sharing my lunch with her on, on a, almost a daily basis. And uh, she's trying to, you know, solicit me at times. And it was kind of a dangerous place, but I didn't feel any, any compulsion or any desire. So that was good. Um, and then one day came along and she was with another f- uh, friend of hers and they stopped the truck and she said, 
can you give us a ride down two blocks? And I knew what was down two blocks was the crack house. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not supposed to give anybody a ride. She's like, yeah, can you give us a ride down the street, please? And she was like, you know, cocked me into it. And so I let them get in. (laughs) Brad's now moving his dog because his dog is too stinky, too much gas under the computer. Yeah. So Linda talks me into giving her and her friend, these two prostitutes, a ride ride down two blocks down the street. uh, The truck had a bench seat, so Linda gets in next to me, and the other prostitute sits near the door. So uh, we're driving slowly down the street, and this is actually a really crucial time in our relationship. I would say this was a Holy Spirit moment. And so we're driving down the street and she's talking to me about coming and, you know, using her services as a prostitute. She's soliciting me. And she, in the middle of it, she reaches her hand over and she grabs me right between my legs. She grabs my genitals. She says, you you should come and see me. At that point, I slam on the brakes. I, I grab her hand and I throw it off and I start freaking out. I'm like, you can't do that. I'm a, I, and then I start saying, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I, I don't do that stuff. I, you cannot do that to me. <laughs> and I just started freaking out. But it really made me share with who I was. And then... And and then I drove down the two blocks. And as we're driving the rest of the way, I say to her, then I really start hitting at her. I say, I don't know how you can do the job you do. People must do terrible things to you. You must have nightmares about what you experience. I, I can't see that you would even be able to sleep at night. And I really started, I think, getting to her heart. And then she got really mad. And she's like, you don't know anything about my life. I don't, I, I don't have a job. If you, you, if, if I had a job, I would be, it would be different. I wouldn't have to do this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to find you a job. I'm going to get you a job. I'm yelling at her. I'm going to get you a job. She's like, okay, you give me a job. And I'm like, and we're yelling wow. at each other and they get out of the truck and, and go into the crack house. And I drive off and I'm like, I can't, and I just, God, I don't know what to do and keep me in a good way with this woman and help me to help her. And so I did, I actually looked for a job. This was back in the early nineties and I looked for jobs and I tried to, I, I was going to say, I was going to go to her and say, Hey, I got you a job at big bear. I could not find a job. There were not a lot of jobs around and I could not find a job. And so I never did find her a job, but I continued talking with her. And at some point I can't remember exactly, uh, I was always calling her Linda, and at some point she said, you know, my real name, I guess we became really pretty good friends, and she said, my real name is Janice. Unfortunately, this concludes uh, the first part of Dan's story about Janice. Stay tuned for part two, which will be on the next podcast uh, for the conclusion of this story. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you then.